You are listening to the podcast of the Gallery Church. Our desire is to display the goodness of God's grace and love to New York City. For more information about our church, please visit us on the web at gallerychurch.com. Galatians 5:16-25 But I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality impurity sensuality idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Gallery family. Good morning. It is such a joy to see you all on this beautiful morning. I hope uh, my mic is working for some reason, randomly in the middle when we switched into breakout rooms, um, uh, everything just went a bit wonky and I couldn't change my screen or whatnot. So uh, apologies to those that were in my breakout room and I didn't get to talk to you all. Um, it's such a joy to, to connect with you guys again. We are in a new series, I would say a part three of our Holy Spirit series. We started, uh, in January, taking a look, who is the Holy Spirit? And then we went into series number two, how does he reveal, manifest himself to us? And now we look at how does the Spirit at work in us transform us? And so in this series, Transformed by the Spirit, a transformation series that if the Spirit of God is real, if he is true, if he is God, and if he is living and dwelling in us, Christian, that's good news. That truly is good news because what that means is something happens to us. We are not Christians, people who now in a survey that uh, Gallup or the Pew might do where we just check off in a box, Christian. But now because the spirit of God lives in us, we are saying that God, his full glory, his majesty, his power and his might, the, the Shekinah of God, the glory of God dwells in us. That means there is something radically different about us. We look different. We live differently. We walk different. We talk different. Our lives are different than those around us 
who claim to be followers of Jesus. Christian, you know what that means. That means at least from uh, uh, the, the, the onset, before we even jump into uh, the text, that if we are among others who are followers of Jesus and not followers of Jesus, and you are not able to distinctly see the difference between those who profess to be Christians and those who are not Christians, then I can say with I can say with confidence and something's wrong. Something's wrong in you and something's wrong in me. Jesus Christ invites us to a different life. In the text that Emily so beautifully read for us, this is the invitation that if the spirit of God is in us, then there will be a transformation. We will bear fruit. Now, I want you to open your Bibles, Galatians 5, or, or your, your, your tablets, because we're, we're going to dive into the text. But before we can make sense of everything around, Paul says, the author of this letter to the churches, uh, to the Galatian churches, Paul says that if the Spirit of God is in you, he says, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, if you've got your pen, I want you to underline that word fruit. The last few weeks, we've been looking at these horticulture texts, these texts about gardening and cultivation. And we're not going to be in any different form of text. But, you know, as I was going through my notes this morning, I realized I don't think I'm going to get through this entire text fully, but that's fine. We're going to be in person next week. And so we, we might be able to land and finish this text completely. But underline that word fruit. Paul says fruit of the spirit. And then he goes on by saying love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I want you to go back to verse 19 now. It says, now the works, works, underline that word works. See, he says the works of the flesh are sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, uh, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. It's interesting because when Paul is talking about the works of the flesh, he's plural, works, works, plural. But when he talks about the spirit at work in you, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, he doesn't say fruits, plural, he says fruit, singular. In other words, that when God begins his work in you, the transforming work is not nine different Christians. One who has love and one who has joy and one who is patient and one who is kind and one who has self-control. No, no, no. But he says the fruit, singular, the fruit of the spirit. This is not nine different Christians, but one, but one. He says, a Christian radically transformed by God himself, not, not by moralistic attributes or duties or deeds that he does know, by God himself, not by a prophet or an angel, but by God himself. This is the DNA of a Christian. 
this is what he looks like. And over the next nine weeks, we're going to see what each of these actually mean. What does it mean for you to walk in love and joy and peace and patience? That how do these work hand in hand? That you can't have joy without first having love and you can't have kindness without having that joy that they all are connected. One fruit, the DNA of a follower of Jesus. So what does that look like? What does that mean for us? And for us to even break that down, I think we've got to look at the verses around it, church. Because once we see what Paul the Apostle is writing this letter to believers like you and I, once we see what he's writing, we now make sense of what he's calling for us. And so remember two weeks ago, Jordan began this series by taking a look of what it means to, in, in, in the Gospel of John, what it means to abide in Christ. What it means to attach ourselves to the true vine how the work, everything we're going to talk about the next nine weeks is not about you trying to work hard enough to squeeze an apple out of you. No, but it is resting, abiding in the one who produces this fruit in and through you, resting in Jesus and his good work. And last week, we broke down the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, and we paralleled it to Mark, chapter 3, where Jesus calls us to bear fruit, but the seed that is planted in the heart, he's asking, what soil are you? Where is your heart? And we saw the four different soils where God's word is planted in and the different responses of each different heart. And it was a worthy question for us to ask if Christ has done a phenomenal work for us, where is our heart? Now, knowing those two things, that if you abide in Christ and you have a heart that is receptive to the work of Jesus, you now begin to see this change. Now, as Paul is preaching and writing this letter to this particular group of believers, you have to know that they struggled with a truth. Now, I'm going to open up my whiteboard, so I want you to, uh, apologies, as your screen might shift just a bit, but I promise, uh, I want you to see what Paul is dealing with here as he's talking to the churches, to the Galatian churches, Paul is dealing with this broken formula that the believers believed was what made them Christians. Now, we can't jump into it, but if you get time, read Galatians chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 2, and you see this formula uh, starting to rise up in their thinking. The, the believers in the Galatian churches believed this was the formula. It was Jesus plus something equals a Christian. Jesus plus something is what makes you a Christian. So we've got Jesus, the work of Jesus and the empty tomb. We've got what Jesus has performed and done for us. But it's Jesus plus something else is what made you a Christian. And for the churches here, they believed it was circumcision. 
They believed it was a physical following the laws, the Jewish customs and traditions. They believed it was obeying certain commandments or following certain rituals or traditions is what made you a Christian. So yes, it was what Jesus did, but it was something along with the work of Jesus. And Paul comes in and says, this is wrong. This is wrong. What makes you a Christian? What brings about this changed life? What brings about the transformation is not Jesus plus something you do. It is Jesus plus nothing is what makes you and I a Christian. And that's important because that is foundational to Christianity. Because every other world religion, every other philosophy has world religion, world founder, world ideology, world basis, plus something that you do is what makes you that religion, a follower of that religion. And Paul says, no, what makes you a Christian is Jesus and only Jesus. It's his death and his resurrection. What makes you and I sons and daughters of God? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For you are saved by faith in Christ and Christ alone. By grace you are saved so that no man can boast. We are saved because of Jesus. Now, go back to what we talked about last week. What this means for us is what makes you a Christian is not the fruit you bear. The fruit does not give life to the tree. What gives life to the tree, remember church, last week, is the seed, the word of God. What gives life to the tree, what makes you a believer, only Jesus and only Jesus. And when that seed is planted, you will bear fruit. Now, the fruit does not give life to a tree, but the fruit shows that the tree is alive. And that's what this text is about. The fruit does not give life to the tree. And we will work so hard to say, no, this is what truly gives life to the tree. It's what you do. It's how you live. It's the deeds that you perform. And Paul says, no, 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 Christian. What gives life to you is the seed. It is Jesus and only Jesus. But when Jesus is in you, when the spirit of God comes and dwells in you, when he awakens your spirit, you will bear fruit. So the fruit doesn't give life to the tree but the fruit shows the tree is alive. Now, open your Bibles. What does that mean for us today? Now, we've got to understand the journey Paul is taking us on to see, are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? What does your Christian life look like? Does it look radically different? Now, verse 16 and verse 17, take a look. Paul says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Pause. Anytime you see a word repeated multiple times in but two verses, it's worth us asking and saying, what's the big idea? And there are two big ideas presented to us here. There are two words that pop up back and forth in verse 16 and verse 17. And what are they? It's the word flesh and it's the word spirit. Two words. Now, this is what Paul says. He says, walk by the spirit so that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit and and the desires of the spirit are against the desires of the flesh for these are two opposing now what is paul wanting us to see he brings up two words flesh and spirit now, when the Apostle Paul talks about the word flesh, listen, he's not actually talking about skin and bones and blood vessels and organs. But instead, he is talking about the posture of the human heart. He is talking about the desires created by sin in us. And the reason we know that is because he goes on explaining to us in verse 19, the works of the flesh. He says, there are, I want you to hear his, there are desires in all of us. Desires, he says it. Verse 16, verse 17. The desires of the spirit are against the desires of the flesh. He says, there are desires in all of us. You and I have basic desires where we seek fulfillment and satisfaction. And to not have that means there's something wrong. We all have it, Christians and non-Christians alike. But for the Christian, there is something else taking place. In the flesh, it's the posture of the heart, the desires created by sin in us. And if you want to see the symptoms of the sin desires created in us, he gives us the list in verse 19 and verse 20. Sexual morality, impurity, idolatry, sorcery, jealousy, fits of rage. He said these are the symptoms of sin at work in your body. The desires of the flesh, the default mode of every human being. G.K. Chesterton was asked, what is the problem with the world as there were wars and chaos? And he simply answers that question. What is the problem with the world? He says, I am. I'm the problem. You're the problem. Why? because of this. Every human has this. Sin at work in us, where the symptoms that we see are evidenced in the scriptures, where we desire stupor, where we desire rage and anger and jealousy, seeking to tear down others around us and seeking to tear our own bodies down. 
And then Paul says, it's not just the flesh, but the desires of the spirit. The spirit is that of God, the Holy Spirit at work in us. The one who makes you come alive. And he says, the desires of the spirit are against the desires of the flesh. He says, these desires bring you to death, but the spirit brings you to life. And this is what he's saying, for the spirit, the desires of the spirit at work in you is God at work in you, his Holy Spirit at work in you that makes you come alive. What does that mean? What does it mean to be made alive? Imagine what happens when you put a violin in the hand of a violinist or a script in the hand of an actor or a fish in the ocean or music notes in front of an opera singer. They come alive. The work of the spirit is to awaken you to your purpose. You have the desires of the flesh, the posture of the heart, sin at work in you, and the desires of the spirit. God, his spirit that comes in you and awakens you to come alive. Listen, I have worked so many jobs in my entire life, but there's something that happens to me when I sit in a room with three or four people and we're breaking down scripture. My soul is awakened because now I am swimming in the ocean he has put me in. My soul finds satisfaction in God, in the way he has wired and made me. So, find satisfaction, the desires of the spirit and the desires of the flesh. Now, this is what Paul is saying. For every believer, every believer, there is this war. Now, I'm going to try to give you four W's today, which I, I won't fully get into all the text, but at least hopefully the four W's will, will kind of break it down for us. He says, number one, there is this war going on. This war. There is this internal fight in every Christian between the spirit of God in you that says, I have created you for purpose and meaning. I've created you for me and my glory. And anything other than me is drinking syrup after a marathon that'll only make you more thirsty. Anything other than me is trying to hold water in your hand and thinking as tight as you hold it, the water won't leak through your hand. He says, it's to find purpose and meaning in me. And the war is between the spirit of God and the flesh. And there is a war. The war that's going on. And I love the Apostle Paul. And he talks about the fight. This fight that every Christian has. You feel the tension inside you as a believer, don't you? This tension. 
in the world and the culture that we live in, there is this tension inside of us. Romans 7, we know what's right, but yet we desire to do what's wrong. There is this tension inside of us, this tension where Christ says, give up your wealth for those who are in need. And this tension that says, hoard it, keep it, build more, build a kingdom unto yourself. We know our kingdom sees when we die, but yet we will use every ounce of strength inside of us to build up our fame, our renown, our kingdoms. There is this war, this fight. But the apostle Paul says, fight the what? Remember, remember church, fight the good fight of faith. Yes, there's a fight, he says, but it's a good fight. Why? Because in this fight, in the thick battlefield, battle-torn fight of a believer, is where we see the power of God on display to produce the fruit that we could not have done in the flesh alone. The good fight, that there is a struggle between both these natures and the struggle between both these natures, Christian, is to take control of our heart. It's a battle for our attention. It's a battle for our love. It's a battle to take control. The problem is, Paul is saying, this is a battle that is in every Christian. Why? Because you see, Christian, go back to the garden. When God made man, scripture says he breathed his spirit into us. God's lips touched our nostrils and he breathed until then we were just dirt, dirt of dirt, earth of earth. And when God breathed, man became alive. In other words, at that moment, we were first spirit in a body. I want you to see that. We were a spirit, a spirit that lives on even after death, where here on earth we are but a body, this earthen vessel. When sin came into the picture, it reversed. When we rejected the authority of God and said, we know better. We can decide better. We can create better. We don't need you. We know what's right and wrong. We reversed the order. We became a body first and foremost. And our spirit no longer connected with God. And so here we are, these bodies that gratify the body, that know only what the desires of the flesh are. How do I gratify the flesh? And so we live in the flesh. We desire the flesh. We only have the desires of our flesh. We die in the flesh. But then Jesus comes into the picture. Church, remember, he comes into the picture. Jesus makes us a son and a daughter and breathes life back into our spirit. And what, is hap what happens there? With 
the death and resurrection of Jesus. Our spirits are now made alive. And we now live in a body. Paul is saying in the war with the flesh and the spirit, he's saying one is not you, and that's the flesh. One is not primarily you anymore. Yes, you have these desires, but that's not primarily who you are anymore. That's the old you, the former you, that's trying to become dominant again. Now you have the spirit of God in you. You are a spirit with a body. Because when this body, after 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, however long you live, when this body is no more, this spirit still lives on. You are a spirit first. God's spirit in you that awakens you. You are a child of God first. So I want you to hear this. Life is a fight that in every Christian inside of us, there is this war inside of you right now that is going on. A war to dominate your love, a war to take control of your attention, a war to say, this is who's in control. It's either going to be the flesh or the spirit of God. For a Christian, this no longer has mastery. The spirit of God now lives in you. The problem is Christian, we're told, we're told that when this war takes place, the way to overcome it, the way to overcome it is to, one of the, the, the methods is to, to, to relieve yourself of, of the world that we live in. The problem is, even if you remove yourself from every one of these environments where the flesh keeps creeping back in, though there's wisdom in that, it's not how we overcome in this war you and I are facing. Because right now we're trying to figure out how do we find ourselves victorious in this war? The way we find ourselves victorious in this war where the flesh and the spirit are at war, this good fight nonetheless, but this fight that you and I feel, the way we overcome it is not to remove ourselves from every desire of the flesh, no. I love this quote by uh, early church father Jerome. He, he, he says this, let's see if I, can, if I can find it. He says this, he says, removing yourself from one's culture does not remove the works of the flesh from one heart. He says this, he says, I had condemned myself to such a hell and who had nothing but scorpions and wild animals for company. Often though, often thought I was dancing with a chorus of girls. My face was pale, from fasting, but my mind burned with passionate desires within my freezing body and the fires of sex seethed within me. Early church father Jerome is saying, listen, the war is real, but the answer isn't, let me just try and do more things to overcome this fleshly desires that are around me. No, Paul tells us what to do. And I think this is where the other three W's fit in the picture. Look at verse 16. He says, but walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, underline that word. If you are led, led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul invites us here. He says, walk, walk. The first word he's teaching us is walk, to go in the direction of the Spirit. Go in the direction where the Spirit of God leads you. You know, the followers of Aristotle were called peripatetics because his students would go everywhere he went. Everywhere he went. So they would live where he lived. They would walk where he walked. When Jesus looks at every one of the disciples he calls, what does he say to them? What does he say? to Peter, to James, to John. He says, follow me, follow me. In other words, walk in my dust. Walk where I go, live where I live, eat what I eat. In other words, come after me. To walk in the spirit is to go in the direction of the spirit. Is It is not to just sit there and say no to everything in the flesh, but it is to believe as a Christian to say yes to the works of the Spirit, to the ways of the Spirit. So as we open up God's Word, as we open up God's Word, we begin to see what it means for us to walk in the Spirit, the life we are called to live. What does it look like for us to live lives of prayer and devotion to God? What does it look like for us beyond just saying no and no to the things of the flesh, but to say yes and yes to the things of the God, of, to God? What does that look like? To walk, I think means number three, to now have the wisdom of the spirit. What do I mean wisdom of the spirit? Because to fight in this war, it's not a matter of intellectually ascending. It's more. Look at verse 24. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. He's going to show us what walking means. To walk, to follow. The only reason we can walk, the only reason we can follow, the only reason you and I even have the ability to bear the fruit of the Spirit, to see the transformed work of the Spirit, is to have this wisdom of God. And what is the wisdom? Those who belong to Jesus. Those who belong to Jesus. This is important. This is important. Because what he's saying here is, you are not depending on yourself, your own strength to walk. You are not depending on your own, your own know-how, wisdom to walk. But those who belong to Jesus, the first part of the wisdom is you must remember who you belong to. You belong to him, not because you bear fruit, 
but because he simply loves you. That is foundational and fundamental. That everything Paul shows in the text of what it means to live a transformed life, the only reason we can bear this fruit, the only reason we can overcome and fight in this war, the only reason you are an overcomer, you can walk in victory, the only reason you can walk after the rabbi and follow him in victory and not defeat, in freedom and not in bondage, is because you belong to Jesus. You belong to him, not because of anything you brought to the table, but because he wanted you to be a part of his family. You belong to him. You know what that means? When you understand and fully grasp what it means to belong to the God of the universe, it changes the way you view your struggle. It changes the way you view your struggle because now when you see your struggle, you realize your struggle is independent of you belonging. You belong with or without a struggle. You belong, whether you are fighting issues of, 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 of sensu sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, envy, drunkenness, orgy, you belong. You belong, I belong. That, that when you recognize that you and I are a part of his kingdom, independent of love, joy, peace, patience, independent of drunkenness, orgies, all of these brokenness, that we belong now, we can address the garbage at work in us, trying to steal us away from flourishing in the spirit of God. Hallelujah. When you now begin to see you belong, you can address it. You can actually get the help. You say, Stan, where do you see that? Thanks for asking. It's in the second part of the text. You belong to Christ Jesus. Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There is now a death that takes place to the things of the flesh that can take place. Why? Because I belong. I belong. And we have reversed the formula for so long because we have, Luther says, the default mode of our heart is works righteousness. If I do some of these good deeds, maybe God will hug me tighter. And God says, oh, if you can know that the depths of my love for you are far vaster than you could possibly imagine. Oh, that you would know how deep, how wide, how high is my love for you. Because when you grab a hold of my love for you, then you walk in, in crucifying by my spirit, the deeds of the flesh. The wisdom we now have is this, listen, that I belong. And now that enables me to admit my struggles. I don't have fear that admitting my struggle to you makes me less of belonging. <laughs> I belong. Me now addressing and admitting my struggles is so that we can put to death the things that are stealing God's powerful work in my life that are muting the voice of God to my soul. 
once you know you belong, the second thing it says is you can crucify the flesh. Where you identify the sin at work in you. You can now look at the sin text and say, this is what's at work in me. Jealousy, drunkenness, envy, licentiousness, division, greed. This is now what's at work in me. And you can mortify the flesh. You can kill the flesh. Now the deeds that you do through fasting, through prayer, through, through, through get, getting together in community, brother to brother, sister to sister, holding yourself accountable. Now you can mortify the deeds of the flesh because when temptation comes, it no longer undoes the work of Jesus. I belong. Now sin, where is your power grave? Where is your sting? I belong. And you need to know that because when you know you belong, the crucifying no longer becomes this, no, I don't want it to die, but God, kill the thing. Kill the deeds that try to make me forget that I'm yours. Kill the deeds that try to mock what you were willing to pay to make me yours. These habits, this brokenness, these symptoms of sin that try to get me to believe syrup after a marathon is what my soul needs. God, give me living water. You belong. And you need to see that you belong before you bore a single fruit. You belong before any of these traits, love, joy, peace, were evident in you. You belong before God awakened you, when he, before he awake when you were sinful, he called you to belong to him. You belong. You belong. And now, when you reveal the work of Jesus in you, when you yield, I'm going to get to the last point, when you yield, you see what Jesus is doing and changing inside of you. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? The only one that can change us is Jesus. That's why it says, verse 18, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The law is what you can do. The spirit is what Jesus has done. He has given you the spirit. When you walk with this wisdom, it leads you to some powerful worship. Where in the text is worship? And I land here. I land here. We did not get to the fruit part, uh, but we will in the next few weeks. Look at the end of verse 21. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things do not inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to underline that word, kingdom of God. Remember last week we talked about that. I'm not going to touch on it today. We don't have time. It said, those who do these do not inherit the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. But you and I belong to a kingdom that is not ours as a Christian. 
that we belong to a kingdom that is not ours. That is not of this world, a kingdom far bigger than us. The kingdom of heaven come down dwelling among us. And in order to be in this kingdom, you must see him as king. Where Christ is in total control and Lord over your life and my life. So what does this mean? Why am I saying this? To keep in step, to walk, to have the wisdom of knowing we belong and to crucify is to finally lead us to a place where how do I bear this fruit? I'll tell you. What do you do when you see a king? You surrender. You surrender. The primary way of producing what you're about to see in your life is not obedience. It's surrender. A surrender that leads to obedience. The fruit doesn't give life, no. But when you surrender, you experience the life that produces fruit. It is surrender. The question is, if he is king, have you surrendered? Because to be a Christian is to go from self-rule to God-rule. It is to yield your life to this great God. It is a daily surrender to him. Because when you surrender, Christian, listen, when you surrender, and he plants his seed in you, and you begin to produce the reason you produce is not because of what you have done, but what he has done. The change is internal, producing external fruit. The change is a dead spirit that is made alive. It is death to the flesh and life to the spirit. It is not changed because you worked hard. It is changed because you surrendered to this God that is changing you. The kingdom of God, have you surrendered? Or are you in a joint LLC partnership with Jesus? Are you guys both co-chairmen of your soul? There's only one seat and one master, Jesus Christ. It is not the voice of our culture. It is not a political preference. It is not your spouse. It is not what the norm of our society is. There is one who can alone be king. It is Jesus. And the reason you can surrender to this king is because only this king, Christian, hear me, when you surrender, doesn't crush you and destroy you. Only this king, when you surrender, 
gives you this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's how good our king is. So I've got a question. Are you surrendering to him? Are there areas in your life that you are battling and fighting that you need to hear right now? You belong to him. This war, he's already won it for you. What areas of your life do you need to see his power crucified? Surrender. Submit to this king. Submit. Number one. Number two. Have you engaged in the practice after submission in areas of your life where you are walking in the spirit, walking towards in prayer and fasting and godly community? Are you surrounding yourselves with brothers and sisters that can uphold you in this path of surrendering to this king? Are you growing in knowledge and understanding as you open up God's word when you surrender to this king? Number three. Are you following him? Are you walking in the dust of the rabbi, watching and trusting and keeping in step? Are you abiding in this great gardener? Christian, I am excited that because of his work, we will produce fruit because we belong. We belong. We will see this happen. Next week, I would love to talk about why I can be confident of this. That we be, because we belong, this will happen and what it will look like, the gradual growth of a Christian, the powerful growth of a Christian. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, for loving us, for redeeming us. God, I ask you today, help us trust you, lean on you, follow you in all things. We give you the praise for our Savior who died and rose again. Help us to surrender, to trust this good work in us. Help us to walk by the power of your Spirit, not according to the law, our deeds, but according to the Spirit, your good work. Help us to trust you, King Jesus. We give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We pray you are encouraged in your walk with God through this podcast. For more information about this church, please visit our website at gallerychurch.com.